Hey everyone, welcome to This is Steph Sober, a weekly podcast for those in need of some sober support. I'm your host, Steph, and in this episode, I talk with Meg Geswhite, who is the author of Intoxicating Lies, One Woman's Journey to Freedom from Gray Area Drinking. In this book, Meg flips the script on the five most intoxicating lies we tell ourselves about alcohol and self-worth. While reading her book, I related to so much of Meg's story, and I couldn't wait to have this conversation with her. We talk about everything from drinking as a teen to fit in, to being a part of mommy wine culture to fit in as well as inner child work and how we both take time to heal the wounds of our past. Meg, thank you for writing a book that is vulnerable, honest, and eye-opening. I have no doubt it will help so many women feel understood and empower them on their own journey. This is Intoxicating Lies with Meg. I resonated with so much and I want to, I want to start by thanking you for sending me the book. It came at the perfect time too, because we were just getting ready to walk out the door. My daughter does competitive cheer and we were driving 12 hours to Ohio and I'm like, yes, I have something to read. So I was able to just fully like focus and binge on it, which is just, it was great. And I'm just like nodding my head, nodding my head and yeah, it was just like every time I hear similarities in the in a story, like for me, it just feels like a hug. Like it yeah. feels so good to know that the struggle wasn't you're not struggling alone. And even right. though like physically you and I weren't together, like it just feel like that's the only way I can explain it. And I know a lot of people in the sober community would agree, like when you connect in that way. It's just amazing. So thank you thank so you much. For, thank you for writing it. Thank you for sharing it with me. Like all of that. I just think people want to be heard, loved, seen, and validated. And that's the feedback I've gotten about my book as they've said, you know, I feel like I'm on the couch with you having a cup of coffee and you're holding my hand through my sober, curious journey. And a lot of your story is my story. And that to me is the greatest honor because I feel like I'm able to walk with other women in these twists and turns and say, you're not alone. It's normal. It's okay. It's going to be up. It's going to be down. It's going to be right. It's going to be left (laughs) and all the things in between. And that's why the, my book cover is swirly. I don't know if you knew it's because it's not linear. It's very much of twists and turns and um, community and being together and just feeling seen is so important on this journey. So important. My gosh. So let's start with drinking as a teen to fit in because that was the first thing that popped out and resonated with me. And it's actually became a theme throughout my whole life. I mean, it started as a teen drinking to fit in and then it just snowballed into adulthood and everything else. And it's probably when we talk about inner child work, mm-hmm. that's a lot of the things that I'm working on, like false beliefs about, you yes. know, looks and things like that, or like what you need to yes. do. Well, yeah, it's big time. 
So I'll back up a little bit. When I was in the the fifth grade, um, I had a story in the book where in in so many words, I won't go through the whole story, but yeah. I was basically told that I wouldn't amount to much. And the very next year I was ostracized by the girls at my school. I no longer fit in. So I was telling myself a story of that I'm not smart enough, I'm not good enough, and I don't fit in. And we moved quite a bit in my childhood. And so I was constantly having to try to, my birthday is September 9th. So I was always the first week of school trying to meet friends very quickly, inviting them to my birthday party, even though I knew them for less than a week. And And always just this little girl that wanted to fit in, that wanted to be accepted because it was so painful when I wasn't and lived in a, in a small town in Delaware where appearances were everything. My parents ran in a country club cocktail scene. So it was, you know, very much of like the show must go on and we need to appear like everything was fine. And I was really just wanting to fit in. And so my very first drink was in eighth grade where I had at my new school, the popular girls over and they asked if we could raid my parents' liquor cabinet. And of course, that little girl was like, we got to do it. We got to fit in. Mm -hmm. And we did shots of peach schnapps. And I had my very first hangover. And then high school was very much of the same. It was like whenever we could sneak off to a party, whenever I could, you know, that little girl felt like she fit in and was part of the group. I mean, I even gave up. I was an ice skater and I gave it up to do cheerleading and to join it's kind of funny but the band was a popular thing at our school but I would do anything not forsaking my own needs my own desires to fit in to be with the crowd the popular group all while being concerned about my appearances and I got into modeling and I really fell into this place of getting approval for my looks and in college, after college, I had um, a lot of student loan debt, and I literally became the poster child for the big alcohol industry. I was the Budweiser girl, the Jägermeister girl, and uh, the Guinness girl, and I thought it was funny. And again, wanted to fit in, needed to pay bills. It was a very lucrative position. However, I was starting to objectify my body. Yeah. And I didn't even realize it. There wasn't anybody telling me that I was doing anything wrong. I just felt like this was how I was going to gain approval. And I just started looking outside of myself more and more to make that little girl feel like she was accepted. She was worthy. She was good enough. Um, And it just continued all the way through. And then you know, I go take you through that whole journey in my book until I fell into after college, the hustle culture. I am what my, I am what I produce. Then I was winning awards at work and people were basically telling me I was smart. So I was like, oh, well, I just need to work harder and win more work awards. Well, the work, the sales culture is very much of work hard, play hard. And there was a lot of alcohol involved And it was frowned upon if you did not go to the bar. So it was like, no, you go. (laughs) You are required to be there. And then I fell into medical aesthetic sales, beauty medical sales. And now it was not only hustle, but gosh, you got to look perfect while you do it. And I was selling women on that notion of these products I was selling. And it was exhausting. 
I mean, it was like trying to keep up with the Joneses. I, I was only as good as my last quarter at work. You know, God forbid you have a wrinkle or anything. I mean, it just was, I had my nails always had to be done. My hair, the outfits, the, the whole nine yards. It was like the, the show must go on. And what happened was I ended up meeting my husband and we loved to entertain and alcohol was still really at the center of our marriage and our way of having fun together. But then we had two kids and I fell into the mommy wine culture. And now it was me buying the tea towels and thinking, thinking it was funny, you know, Mm -hmm. behind every great mom is a bottle of wine. But when I did not feel like a great mom and I was too tired to play with them, I'm like, Oh, something's wrong with me. I'm a failure. I'm not what the tea towel says. I'm not a great mom. And I started blaming myself and feeling like, what, you know, why is everybody around me able to keep this going and what's wrong with me? Um, But I was still using alcohol kind of as like a social lubricant and recreational at that point. Then I had three back-to-back major life issues happen two weeks apart. And I did not know how to deal with the overwhelming anxiety, chatter at night, the like demons in my head, the voices that were just Now everything was amped up and started using alcohol medicinally to quiet that down, that chatter down to check out. I was um, taking care of everybody at work during the day, coming home, taking care of the kids. My marriage wasn't in the throes. My kids were fine. I was still doing really well at work, but at night, my self-care was wine and it became this habitual habit and I guess you could say I never hit a rock bottom, but for me, when I no longer wanted my kids to do sports in the evening so that I could come home to my rewarding glass of wine, that scared me because I was always somebody who wanted to be in control. And now I was like, whoa, this thing is in control of me. But gray area drinking is very tricky because my therapist told me I was overthinking it and I didn't have a problem. My family, my friends were like, you drink just like us, you're you're fine. And so that ill advice kept my gray area drinking for like two years and I suffered silently and it was a maddening groundhog's day in my brain. I was like, why can I not get this thing under control? What is wrong with me? I would have so much shame and do the punishing workout and eat the kale salad and all the things to convince myself I was Mm -hmm. in control. (laughs) And The shame that came along with that was brutal. I mean, it was just this vicious detox to retox loop that kept me trapped for way too long. And it wasn't until I listened to that inner knowing, that small voice within that was saying to me, this is not serving us. This is, there's something wrong. We need to look at this. And I clicked on an ad for Sober Sis and she was talking about this detox to retox loop. And I was like, oh my God, somebody feels like I do. Like, like you said, there's somebody else out there because in 2019, when I was sober curious, this was November of 2019. I I just didn't hear anything about gray area drinking. Nobody was really talking about it at that time. And they say you write the book that you needed at the time. And I was looking for these stories, like you, like we just said, like stories like ours and everything was 
And these stories are very important stories. I'm not saying this with judgment, but they were rock bottom stories Mm -hmm. and I would read them and they would actually keep me trapped. I'm like, oh, I'm not that bad. And I was caught in that comparison lie. And you know, there will always be somebody who drinks worse than you. And there will always be somebody who drinks less than you. But we stay in this comparison lie where as a society, we label up drinking into a black and white box because it makes us, it makes us feel better about ourselves and it normalizes our gray area of drinking. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I surrounded (laughs) myself. I mean, I surrounded my, the people I hung out with either drank as much or more than me. And that's what always kept me feeling like I had control. So I totally understand that whole thought process there. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, even when after I decided after a year of not drinking to tell my friends, talking about that little girl within, she was like peering out like, oh my God, are your friends going to still invite you to parties? Are you going to, it took me all the way back to sixth grade. The little girl within me was like, oh, I don't know if we should tell anybody because what if they don't want to be your friend? And it was like, okay, I see you, you know, and Mm -hmm. I understand where that fear is coming from. And you know, from doing this work, it's like you honor her, but you go back to her and you wrap your arms around her and you're like, it's going to be okay. We're, We're safe. You know, I understand why you feel the way that you feel. Like we don't diminish or dismiss our feelings. We actually go back and like hug that little girl and say, I get it. That Mm -hmm. was a hard place you were in. But this new version of us is able to do this and then it's going to be okay. And it was crazy how many people came out with support and how my DMs blew up privately. Like I have never told anybody this, but I'm struggling too, or my daughter's in rehab, people I went to high school with. And so you just never know when you do share it, who you're planting a seed with, whether it blooms or not is not for us. We can't control that, but we may influence somebody to change or get curious about their relationship with alcohol. Yeah. And going back to that, like you said, that little girl, it's so important to do that, especially early on in sobriety, when those things creep up, like your fear of, oh my gosh, when I tell people, are they not going to want to be my friend anymore? And anytime you have those beliefs that you've created, and I love using air quotes around beliefs because beliefs can always be diminished. Like you don't have to stick with a belief just because it's what you've always believed. You can always investigate it. You can always dig in and find out if you really do believe it, or was it something society put on you to make you feel you needed to believe, but it is so important to go back to that and say, say to that inner child, like you're okay. And tell them what they needed to hear at the time, because that's how you heal that wound. And that's how you can move forward and understand like, no, I don't believe that. I don't believe that people only want to be my friend because I drink. And if they do, that's not okay. I don't need to change myself and what is comfortable for me to make others comfortable. And that is such a hard realization to come to. Yes. But I know you would agree. It is the most important thing for your sobriety is to honor yourself. That Mm -hmm. people pleaser and the show must go on has to kind of shed and know that, you know, first and foremost, we have to please ourselves and be and show up for ourselves. And, you know, I just did a, um, 
book club with Sober Sis, there was 40 about, well, there's over 40 women in it. And the first chapter really is the intoxicating lies to your point that we tell ourselves about ourselves, especially our worth. And we get so many messages as women, you're too much, you're not enough, you're too Mm -hmm. fat, you're too skinny, you're too shy, you're too aggressive. And what happens is we disassociate with ourselves because we're confused. We're like, wait, what am I? And then we get the message of self over others. Like I was a Girl Scout. I was a brownie. It was like serve above self, right? And take care of everybody else. So you start to lose who you are and you start focusing again outside of yourself. And what I encourage these women to do and any any of your listeners is get a picture of yourself when you were a little girl and grab a journal and sit there because sometimes it's hard to have these conversations with the adult version of yourself. Mm -hmm. And you may not even have good things to say to the adult version of yourself, but I guarantee you when you look at that little girl who is whole and perfect and full of joy, you're going to be able to journal. And like you said, work through these beliefs and really ask yourself and get curious. Is that true? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And let, let her know. I, I actually started inner child worth work through hypnosis, which was wild. Mm. And it was when I was still a drinker and I went to hypnosis for my anxiety, which was being caused by alcohol. But at the time I did not, I wasn't honest with anyone, even myself, that the amount of alcohol I was drinking could be causing my anxiety because deep down, I was using the alcohol to ease that. And so the thought of having to give that up was extremely terrifying. And it was a very vicious loop I was in. And so yeah, I went to hypnosis for anxiety. And I swear it's what led to my sobriety because it kind of, you know, it made me wake up to wanting to be a better person. And that's what he told me, like, you're going to want to be better. And I think there was deep inside my subconscious, a part of me that knew that alcohol just was not serving me and it was not helping my anxiety. And so that's when I started to learn how to do that. Like in some of those sessions, I would go back to certain times in my life when a belief was instilled in little stuff, you know, something happened and I had to go back to her in that situation because she wasn't told what she needed to hear at that time by an adult. And so as an adult, the adult version of me had to go back. And I, like you said, I encourage people to do that kind of work. It may sound silly, yeah. but it is so powerful. I don't think I you mean, realize it takes how much you, you need through it. traumas. I yeah. mean, you can get through trauma, you can heal your body, your nervous system. I mean, it's profound work. It's hard work, mm-hmm. but it is beautiful work. It's freeing work. And I think that's so amazing that you got that. And, you know, we have to lose the shame because we're not warned that it actually makes our anxiety worse. We're not warned that it's a highly addictive drug. You know, there's so much stigma around it, but we're not the problem. It's the problem. And we're carrying this shame around and it's unnecessary because we've been duped. We've been lied to. And we've been fed all of these messages by TV and movies, society, culture, our families. It is ingrained in every part and fiber of our being. 
And for women, this is becoming an epidemic because we're exhausted and big alcohol knows it. And we're looking for a permission slip to rest. And the mommy wine culture is that permission slip. It says, hey, you want to come and hang out with a bunch of women and we don't even really know you. We'll accept you if you drink wine with us. It's like, again, that little girl that's like, can I be part of your group? Sure. Have some wine with us. And then it's the social permission slip to say, I'm tired. I'm exhausted and it's okay to have wine. But what we're doing is we're like, to your point, is compounding everything and making our parenting so much harder because we're increasing our anxiety and our depression. We're actually too tired to play with our kids. We're modeling to our children that guess what? When life's tough, just pad yourself. Mm -hmm. And that is not what we want to tell our children, right? And we have to show up messy, and yet that's where the beauty is, is in the mess because they're, they can see that we're not perfect, you know, and we're doing the best that we can, but we, we get these coping mechanisms, like the people pleaser, the chronic achiever, the perfectionist, all those things. And I'm not saying they're bad parts of you. All parts of you are good, but the societal beliefs around them, like you said, we have to shed that. We have mm-hmm. to call that out. And that's why the book is called Intoxicating Lies, because there are so many lies. I call it the machine in the book where culture is trying to suck you in. I mean, all the time with launching this book, your followers are down. You haven't done this. You haven't had any website visits, this, that. It's this constant message of like, you're not good enough. You're just yeah. not good enough. You could do more, do more. And I have found my old coping mechanisms of, oh, this worked in the past. Let's just post more. Let's do this. And it's maddening again. And then I have to catch myself and go, no, this is enough. I'm doing enough. I'm reading, I'm reaching my toll, my targets, soul readers, and just shed the shoulds and the cultural old condition beliefs that are a bunch of BS mm-hmm. because they are now more than ever. There's so many ways to measure yourself. You know, it's like you're talking with the social media and like, yeah, sell. I'm sure now you have a book. So now it's the sales of your book. There's, there's a way you can measure whether you're being successful. And I use air quotes once again, because society's success and maybe what you believe as a person is success can be completely different. Correct. And you'll know if it's different when it's not feeling well within you. Like when you are- okay, yeah, I haven't sold X amount and this is what society says is success. But I feel I've helped, you know, I've had five people reach out to me today in my DM and say, you have helped me. That feels good. So then that's what you need to focus on because I deal with the same thing with the podcast. Like I have a podcast, so you can imagine my advertisement type stuff I get is all about like, are you getting this many listens on your podcast? And it it gets in your head, right? And that's kind of some of the stuff I've been dealing with lately. And it's really, really hard. And what I love about the universe, though, is when you are open to receiving light, you know, I will have these times where I am like, letting my success be dictated by society. And then I will get a DM from someone who said, I listened to this episode and now I'm sober, or I listened to this episode and it really made me question this. And that's when I'm like, okay, thank you for reminding me that this is why I want to keep going. I'm not going to quit because I'm not good enough in society's eyes or what, you know, they say I should be measuring 
So it is, it it is so important. I love that. It's so important. It's so true. And we get so caught up in it and we have to just, it's okay. It's okay. If we get caught up in it, we just have to catch it Mm -hmm. and then release it and, and go back to our mission, which my mission was to help one woman. If it helped one woman. And the first one I got was you gave me the permission slip to heal. I was bawling. Yeah, I was bawling. And I was like, you know what, that job done check. But I loved what you said about going to the universe and being open to receive. So I just want to tell you really quick, I'm going to post it later today, actually on a reel. Um, I went to my journal. I journal every morning on an intention Mm -hmm. journal. It says, what are you calling in for today? And something said, go outside while you journal. So I went outside and I said, I'm calling in openness. And I said, I'm open to receive all the creative possibilities for this journey and for abundance. And one of my spirit animals is rabbits. And I have not seen a rabbit in a long time. They're a sign of safety. And my word for 2023 is abundance. So I continue to write in my journal, thanking the universe for all the signs that they have given me. You know, it's given me on this journey to let me know that I'm being held and loved when I feel uncertain and I feel fearful and that I'm open to the, oh, and then I wrote, and I'm exactly where I need to be. And I trust in this process. And I closed my journal and two bunnies came out and they started running around in a circle. because <laughs> me like, makes me want to cry. Oh. And I was like, oh my God, there it is, you know, yeah. and you just have to slow down and be mm-hmm. open to it. And the signs are everywhere saying that you are being held and loved through this and it's hard. It's hard work. It's tough, but it's there saying, you know, it's going to be okay. You're right where you need to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. that, that being right where you need to be, that is something I constantly remind myself of too. And, you know, the proof of that is just looking back at everything that's ever happened. You know what I mean? And like everything that anything that I thought was bad at the time, what I learned from it and what it opened me up to. And I have to remind myself of that every time when I think I need to push a little harder, I have to say, no, no, because you are right where you need to be. There's another reason why you are what you may think is stuck is not stuck. It's a moment to pause. It's a moment to like yes. take in what you've done and reflect and enjoy it yes. because that's really why we're supposed to be doing these things is to enjoy them. And I'm yes. someone who likes to just, all right, hit that goal. What's next? Oh, okay. Me I hit too. that goal. What's next? And yep. yeah, so you get it. Like you have to- It's the craving you... brain. It reminds you of drinking, yes, right? The craving brain. Exactly. Like it was never one drink. It was right. like, oh, I could have another drink or, you know, yeah. same thing. I can do oh, one more Oh, this toast. is good. I bet the next will be better. And it's, right. it's that instead it's of like, not. yes, this is good. So why don't you enjoy it for a while? Like you don't have to just hurry off to the next great thing. And to it's achieve. never enough. Never. With drinking or doing. It's like just being more and being present and being aware. And this journey, this alcohol-free journey teaches you you know, so many of the tools that, that you need then to just deal with life's ups and downs. And you have like this whole tool shed of like, when these moments happen of feeling like you need to do more that maybe it's just, you need to go for a walk. Mm -hmm. Maybe you just need to call a friend, 
you know, or whatever, like you said, just slow down and listen to your inner knowing and honor whatever is happening and knowing just like a craving, it's going to pass. Sometimes it's days, sometimes mm-hmm. it's hours, <laughs> and sometimes it's in the moment, but it's all there to, for life is happening for you, not at you. And you mm-hmm. shift. I know when I was drinking, I was caught up in that drama triangle of like either judging somebody, I was the victim or I was prosecuted. You know, I was just always in it. I deserve this drink. I've had a day. This person did me wrong. You know, look at everything I've done. I'm dutiful yet dead. You know, I talk about that Mm -hmm. in the book. I mean, I Mm -hmm. just felt like I was, and I just, it just kept me stuck. Mm -hmm. It kept me in a loop that was awful, Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. maddening. And there's just so much freedom on the other side. It it takes time, but all of these baby steps in the journey. And just to your point too, the side steps, like you said, we learn from them in the journey. So they're not failure if you don't give up and you get into your right. journal and you get curious. What did I learn when I drank? I mean, I have a story in the book and I know it was jarring for you, you said mm-hmm. um, to me earlier, and we can talk about that, but it's like, if it propels you forward in the journey and you learn something from it then it is not a setback. It is actually just progression in this journey, which is lots and loads of practice and self-compassion. Yeah. And I've learned so much too in sobriety about like consistency and how much, because I'm such a perfectionist, right? So I've always been all or nothing. And I know that's a very common theme um, when I talk to other sober people. And it was relearning that perfection is not obtainable like not attainable. And I really thought in my mind that I was going to obtain, like get there someday. Right. And that (laughs) consistency is actually what you want to go for. And it's okay. If you have a day that you just need a day, like you just need a day to just take a break because I used to, if I started feeling overwhelmed in something I was trying to accomplish, instead of giving myself a break, I would abandon ship. I would just give up on it mm-hmm. because I thought, well, if you can't keep doing this, then this obviously you're not good enough to do it. So let's mm-hmm. just, let's just quit and mm-hmm. find something else. That was mm-hmm. the theme of my life. And then we, and the alcohol loved that, right? Like <laughs> it grabbed a hold of that one. Oh yeah. It loved feeding that because then of course I needed it. Right. right. Because now I'm feeling right. down and out about yep. myself. So now we're going to, yep. we're going to binge and we're going to bitch and, and moan about why it didn't yep. work. But now yep. I can stick to things because now I give myself that space in that time. If I'm feeling overwhelmed or I feel stuck, like I don't know mm-hmm. what to do next. That's my sign you need a break. That's what you need to do next. I actually just did it this week. I took a whole day off of any sober content because that's what I do for a living now. You know, it's like everything is sober content. And I was like feeling I couldn't create. I'm feeling like maybe I just need to not do this anymore. Like that monster was Mm. coming back. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, no, we're not that person anymore. We're going to take, we're going to take a break. And I, I thought, God, this might be a really long break, but we're going to start with today. And you know what? One day was all I needed. I mean, it was yes. overly dramatic. Like I was like, <laughs> I'm taking a month off. Like <laughs> I took one day. Well, you hit, you hit your moment. Yeah. You hit yeah. the wall and, 
And the thing is, I call it, um, I don't have it in the book, but I call it now, uh, it's called a gentle day where I just need to go and be gentle with myself, give myself grace, slow down, listen, get in my journal. And what I find is then my creativity comes flooding back in and the inspiration, like, I'm like, I'm done posting. I don't know what else I could post about. And I, I'm just done. Mm -hmm. And then you take one of those gentle days for yourself. And then all of a sudden, like six ideas come pouring in. And that's the beauty of it is like, it's telling you it's warning. You know, we're so in tune with our bodies now. Yes. We quit drinking that we can feel the hell no's and the hell yeses and the nudges, like the nudge this morning that said, go outside to journal. Like, I, oh, okay. I'm going outside. Mm-hmm, I don't mm-hmm. know what's about to happen, but I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> and I listen to that. I listen to that inner knowing now all the time. And I'm trying to teach that to my daughter. Like when she's questioning mm-hmm. something, I'm like, trust mm-hmm. yourself. What is your body telling you? What are you feeling? What's your gut saying? I want her to start trusting herself because I didn't get that growing up. I was always looking outside of myself always for the approval validation and and it didn't it just doesn't serve you and but we're modeled that in our society that that's how you like we talked about that's how you're successful it's just yes yeah speaking of your daughter how is that relationship I loved reading about that you talked a little bit about some things that came up with when you were 15 months sober some things came up with your daughter you caught her in some lies and things like that Do you feel like now that you are sober and she knows you're sober? Because I'm guessing you're pretty open. Do you feel like that's affected your guys' relationship? No, it hasn't. Like, I wouldn't say it's one way or the other. It's that I know she's watching me. So she's following me on social media because she'll even say, mom, that that was a little judgy what you said. You might want to change. Like, she's watching me. (laughs) So what she's in high school and let's just face it. We all drink in high school. I know she's underage. It's going to happen. So we're having a lot of conversations, not you shouldn't do this. This is poison. And it's not that fear stuff. I could go there because that is the truth. And she knows she's seeing it Mm -hmm. on my social media. But what my conversations were are with her is you're going to have to figure this out on your own. And what I want to encourage you to do is ask yourself, did you think you were more fun at the party? Is that true? How did you feel the next morning when you couldn't go surfing with your friends? Mm-hmm. Did that stink? You know, and just get curious because I can't control her. And I know that fear is not, is only going to drive her away. I want her. I'm like, I just want to have this conversation with you. Mm-hmm. I would love to explore this with you. And look, when kids are younger, the consequences are less. As mothers, we're trying to run a house. We've got kids. We've got sometimes a job. It's it, the consequences are much harder. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't bounce back either in our right year. <laughs> a little harder to function. Yeah. Right. But I want that voice of that question as she gets older to, to come back into her brain. So when I was stuck in my gray area drinking and I didn't want to hear that alcohol was bad, I didn't want to, I didn't want to hear it. I remember my, my family physician saying to me, you know, it's really impacting your your sleep and here's how it's impacting your sleep. And she went through the whole thing. And I was like, you know, okay, okay. Blinders up. But guess what? When I became sober curious, 
and my sleep improved. Who's the first voice I heard? It was Mm. hers. It came back, you know, it's in there. So we're planting these little seeds with our kids. And the other day, like you and I were talking about, we were in a funk and my son could tell he was like, mom, are you okay? And I was like, I'm just kind of having a tough day. He's like, you need to go for a walk, don't you? Mm. And I was like, that's what I want my kids to think. Like, oh, I'm having a tough day. I used to see my mom walk. Not, oh, I'm having a tough day. My mom usually pulls. Should I pour you some wine? Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So they're watching and I'm just modeling and trying to get curious with them and curious on this journey too, of trusting ourselves and just listening to our inner knowing because we just aren't modeled. I call it earth school. We, We need an earth school for our kids to learn how to do Mm -hmm. breath work and meditation and Mm -hmm. journaling and curiosity and critical thinking. We just don't have that. Mm -hmm. My God, this world would be such a different place. (laughs) I know. Why do we have to have a drinking problem to figure this stuff out? Right. (laughs) But you're right. I mean, the, the, I don't know. My daughter complains about school all the time and in a way where it actually, I don't tell her this directly, but she probably can just tell. Um, it actually makes me kind of proud because she's kind of calling it out, you know, mm. for what it is, you know, because Good. she just, she learns differently. And I think there's a lot mm. of kids that learn differently and mm. it hasn't evolved at all, like mm-hmm. the way the structure and all of that. And so she calls that out and I'm proud of her for that because yeah. if I would have called that out at her age and the way society was back then. Mm-hmm. I would have gotten in some big trouble for that. You know, like I would have right. been pushed down and said, no, this is the way it is. And so I kind of encourage it to a point, you know what I mean? Like I tell yeah. her, you know, you, you are the next generation and you have the power to create something new and use yes. your voice Yes, and you can do something completely different when you have children And so I just try to empower her, but it does go along with just setting the example, like you were saying with the drinking and, and asking them, she's 14. So she's a freshman. And okay, um, so she's two years younger than mine. Okay. Yeah. So ready to go into that party scene. Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's new, but I feel she's, she's already told me several times. I've actually interviewed her on my podcast twice and it was like mind blowing the things that she was saying, but it made me feel good because I'm like, she is paying attention because I don't like you. I don't sit there and like lecture about it, but she does follow my social media. She has told me several times she feels safe around me now. And she feels like she can trust me now. So she's like, there's nothing I don't tell you because she knows I'm in my right mind. She knows that she knows what she's going to get. When I was a drinker, she didn't know what she was going to get. Was I going to be irritable or was I in a really good mood? And that creates a lot of instability. So true. Oh my gosh. That's so profound. I love that. Mm -hmm. When my kids told me, mom, you have so much more patience since you quit drinking. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, who doesn't want that? But you're right. Like there was almost like an AM me and a PM me and you didn't know who you were going to get. And, you know, I have a story in the book where they videotaped me when I was out drinking and it was embarrassing, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and they... Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're definitely watching and, and taking it all in. And I just think it's great that you're empowering her and that feel, you know, feeling good about those decisions and that it's okay. And I love like Bella Hadid, who 
doesn't drink. My daughter follows her. And so she's seeing these role models younger and younger, these millennials that don't want to drink. And I'm like, we need more of them. Like we do speak out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. my daughter's following you and you are impacting the choices that she's making. So, so I think, you know, that's why I love all the stories on the spectrum, all the ages on the spectrum. There's a woman in my group, in my sober sis group, she's 80. Oh, wow. You know, you're never too old to nope. do this work. It's never too late. And you're never too young to, to get curious Mm-mm. and start really asking yourself, what, what is this doing? What is this providing for my life? Yeah, I love the whole younger generation thing because I've noticed it too more and more. Um, and I actually just had someone reach out to me and I'm going to bring her on the podcast. She's 23. She quit oh, drinking when she's 22, you know, and she's like, I would love to share what that's been like within my generation because it's, I feel they're like on the cusp, right? I feel like yeah. you've got some that are like probably a lot like her, but there's still a lot of them that are in the party scene and just co- yeah. freshly out of the college, college party like, scene. And oh, the binge drinking route. Oh. Talk about normalizing binge drinking. That's where mm-hmm. I think we, we really start learning how to do it. It's where it goes wrong. It's where it goes wrong really quickly. (laughs) Like it's the perfect storm. I, I mean, I, you know, the other thing I've talked to my daughter about is that I had two sexual assaults, which I talk about Mm -hmm. in the book and that both of them were heavy binge drinking incidents where I did not have good decision-making and I put myself into some really bad situations and, you know, this is, this is the consequence sometimes. And it, you just start losing control over your body and your mind, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and this is, these are the consequences that can happen. And she has seen, I mean, I, I, I had such before I did somatic therapy. So that was the therapy I had to do, which I talk about in the book too, you know, mm-hmm. to, to get through those traumas. I didn't realize they were stored in my body. So what was happening is I was watching movies with her where there may be like a rape scene and I would start sweating and I would start mm. shaking. And I was literally having post-traumatic stress right. response to what I was seeing. And I don't know if you remember, there was a show called Ephora, Ephoric or Euphoria. Euphoria. Or that kids were all into. Yeah, I didn't oh, watch it. My daughter horrible. watched it. Yeah. And I, I had seen it, a visceral response to that show and freaked out on my daughter. And because uh, I thought, if this is what you guys are watching and this is normalized, this is so not okay. But I had not done the work. Mm. And so I, I share this because I, it was not a good parenting moment. I'm going to be the first to tell you, I freaked out. I literally had a, a stress trauma response to that show. And she was like, she was into the makeup and not what the show was about. And she was like, just a deer in headlights to my response. And we both just started crying. And I said, I'm so sorry. I just had this response, which is what happens when trauma happens to you. But this is what, this is the consequence that happened to me from this binge drinking, you know, these two nights. Mm -hmm. And I just want to show you, this is what trauma looks like. You know, this is it. And I need to get help. I obviously am still not okay with it. Even though I had done talk therapy about it for years, I thought it was okay. I wasn't, it wasn't until I did somatic and went, I I take you in the book, you know, I had to go Mm -hmm. back 
to that little girl, that adolescent mm-hmm. girl and get with her and during those situations and heal those moments, you know, because they were stuck, you know, the body keeps score. It's like that book. Yeah. Mm. So these are the realities of alcohol, you know, and, and the discussions that are tough, but you know, I, I showed up not in my best. I'll tell you that, but she got but to I see think, firsthand. Yeah. But I, I think there's, I mean, even though it wasn't your best, it's raw and it gives you an opportunity then to like explain and be open. And like you said, show her like, this is the result of right. drinking. Like, this is what it has turned into for me. And I don't want that for you. And, you know, the, the alcohol for women, yes, it, it can really cause bigger problems than just yeah anxiety or poor sleep, like you said, it puts you in some very vulnerable situations. Yeah. And it's very scary. Like that is no joke. And that is extremely terrifying as a mother to a young girl. Right. To even imagine, you know, her in that situation because of alcohol, because I feel my daughter is a very strong young woman, Mm -hmm. but what would alcohol do to that? You know, right. And what would right. someone who saw her sees her as, cause that's even a whole nother thing, right? If someone sees you as a strong woman, they would love nothing more than to overtake you in a vulnerable right. situation. It's almost right. like you'll have a target on your back mm-hmm. in this world. Mm-hmm. So that's all the more reason to mm-hmm. not drink, to own yeah. your power, to keep your power. That's right. That they can't get you when you're in a vulnerable situation. That's right. Yeah. To really be self-aware of like, you know, once you get past that buzz phase, you know, and we know, we know that it only, you only get the first 20 minutes, right? And then you're just chasing something you're never going to get. And you're just putting yourself into that really bad zone of maybe blacking out or Mm -hmm. making poor decisions. And you're never going to get those first 20 minutes back. I mean, it's an absolute time suck. And a dangerous one for young girls. Very dangerous. Yeah. But, Ooh. you know, this is how we learn is yeah. from these situations. And, you know, I'm just grateful that I can have these conversations with her. I just, my biggest thing is to always keep that door of open communication. Yes. I think that is. And I almost shut it. You know, I kind of freaked out on her. I almost shut it. And, you know, my sister was, my sister's a life coach. She was like, you kind of freaked her out. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, I guess I did. So, you know, I, we just, we learn, we learn from these situations and, yeah. you know, there's not a parenting guide on how to deal with your trauma. <laughs> like, there's, you there's know. not, there's not. And I think, like you said, though, you keep the door open and then also own up, right? Yeah. Like that's yeah. one thing that I, <clears throat> excuse me, make sure I do every time because I'm still not perfect. I'm still irritable. I'm still impatient. Mm -hmm. I'm still working on things, but the difference is now I'm aware of it. And so when those things happen, I am very quick to tell my daughter, listen, I'm sorry. I just snapped on you. It actually had nothing to do with you. I didn't get good sleep last night or whatever the reason is, because once again, now we are so much more aware of why we feel the way we feel or what we're going through. And I think it's as important, just as important as a parent to look that's how you teach your kids to be good people and to own up right. and to like recognize their feelings. You have to like tell them, Hey, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have uh, bit your head off. And 
every time my mom, my daughter gives me a hug, she's like, it's fine, mom, you know, but it's like, no, it's not okay. Like, honestly, it's not okay. I shouldn't have yelled at you, you know, but then there's times she deserves it. So, I mean, it's but we're a, human. He's and, a teenager, yeah, we, you know, <laughs> <laughs> we're human and, and we're gonna, the beauty is in the mess. And mm-hmm. we're ha- like you said, we're, we're showing how to be, be accountable. Yeah. Because guess what? When you get older, you have to be accountable for yourself over and over and over again. So mm-hmm. it's better to learn it at a young age and see our parents being able to do it with ease, you know, instead of always trying to look perfect and like everything's fine or mm-hmm. I'm just going to go check out. You know, it can be checking out on your phone. It can be checking out with food. It can be alcohol. There's so many ways to just, you know, numb out. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard. This is harder. This is harder to say, I messed up and I'm sorry. I'm human. You're going to do the same thing. You're going to make mistakes. Yeah. I'm going to make mistakes. We learn from these mistakes when we move forward. And that's really what that chapter in the book is about, you know, is, is how do you, how do you look at it as, you know, progress when these moments come up? Cause they come up all the time. They do. They do. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any final thoughts before we wrap this up? This discussion has been ugh. I needed, Aww. I needed a lot of this today. After me, too, me too. Me <laughs> too. No, I mean, the only other thing that I love to talk about and, uh, and I'll make it brief, but I, I just think because some of the things we've talked about are hard and heavy is the importance of finding joy and the beauty in the day gratitude um, because it is, it is hard work, mm-hmm. but it is so ultimately freeing but we have to include what it, what brought us joy when we were talking about the little girl, what brought us joy when we were a little girl. Did you like to paint? Did you like to ride your bike? Did you like to play in nature? Whatever it was, sewing, go do it. Go do yeah. it. Let that little girl come alive. Your creativity, the joy, the to-do list will melt away. Go on that walk, find the beauty in the day. I collect heart rocks that are in the shape of hearts, you know, and I look for them all the time. And I have this whole jar that says love wins. And I, I will tell that. you some of my hardest days, I found the most heart rocks, but I see them in like the cement, just like there'll be a carve out in the cement. Oh, yeah. I see them everywhere. And so when I see them, I take a picture of it and, and it can be, I don't, I don't on social media. Like if you follow me, I, I'll do like a flower a sunset, a rock, whatever it is, savor it and let that mm. attitude of gratitude shift your mindset because the mind is constantly trying to keep us safe and small and quiet. And we have to like shed all that stuff. <laughs> there's, mm-hmm. there's, there's inner critic voices and and limiting beliefs that just aren't true. And the joy really allows us to, to, to move through in a better way. Oh, I love it. And I have all of your information that I'm going to share in the show notes where they, all the places they can find you and order the book highly recommend like I said it just it it feels like a warm hug from someone who like totally understands what you're going through and what I was going through so thank you for writing it yeah oh that means so much to me I love that this is why I do it it's not the other stuff it's this thank you it means the world to me thank you thank you for listening to the podcast today Remember, I am just a woman on a mission to normalize sobriety and living a sober lifestyle. I am not a licensed therapist or a doctor. Please, if alcohol is causing serious physical or mental health issues, seek professional help. 
If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to hit follow so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, leaving a five-star review will help this podcast reach more people like you in the sober community. It's an easy way to spread the word in normalizing a sober lifestyle. You should never feel alone in sobriety, so feel free to reach out to me via email or through my Instagram account at This Is Steph Sober. Links to both are listed in the show notes.